This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show five, and today we're going to talk about death. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. Hey everyone, this is Josh Dorkin, founder of BiggerPockets.com, here with my co-host Brandon Turner. Hey Brandon. Hello Josh, how are you today? I'm doing great. Yourself? Oh, I can't complain. Excellent, excellent. Well, like you, I'm very excited about today's guest, but before, <laughs> but before we get there, this is show five of the Bigger Pockets podcast, and you can review your show notes at BiggerPockets.com slash show five. Today... We're going to talk about something that a lot of people don't really like to talk about. Death. It seems dark and depressing, but this might be the most important lesson that we've covered yet on the podcast. Why? Well, sometimes this podcast is going to be about flipping, subject to lease options, might be about commercial real estate, might be about how to be a good landlord. Each of these topics are important, but they actually don't apply to everybody who's listening. However... The one thing that we do all have in common is death. The show is not about you and me. This is about our spouses, our kids, and our family. I, I mean, it's, it's such an important topic. Don't you agree, Brandon? I do. And it's something that, you know, as a young guy, I don't actually pay that much attention to because, um, yeah, I'm going to live forever, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, uh, hey. Yeah, nothing can happen to me. And that's definitely the way, like, I mean, I might not outwardly say that except for here on a podcast in front of thousands of people. But I mean, that, that's how I live my life is that, you know, I uh, I wrote a post the other day about um, girl, I don't want to grow old. And I was making fun of people who drive 15 miles an hour <laughs> under the speed limit. Uh, but the fact that I mean, I drive too fast because, you know, I'm invincible and that, um, you know, that will catch up to me someday. And yeah. so I, I think this is going to be a great, a great podcast because of that. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny. What? I, I actually, the way I live my life um, comes from the discussion of death. Um, w one of my best friends back in high school, uh, he, he used to tell me, he had his, his big piece of profound advice, which is probably one of the most important things I've, I've ever heard, was you want to live your life uh, like you're on your deathbed. And what, what does that mean? Well, to me, it means I want to live my life like... Um, I want to live for those people who are going to be around me and surrounding me when I'm dying. So, you, you know, I'm old, I'm sick. Hopefully, you know, that's when I go and not just from some car accident or, or some angry bigger pockets, uh, <laughs> fan or something. But, um, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're dying, um, you're, you're on your deathbed and, and you're surrounded by people and, and who are those people that you're surrounded by, Brendan? Typically, your wife or your husband, if you're a lady, <laughs> your kids, uh, even those kind of things, I assume. So I it's going to be the people who are closest to you. Correct. Right. So, you know, the way the way that he explained it to me and, and the way I, I really see it is you want to live your life for those people. Um, you want to live it for your, your closest friends. You want to live it for your family. You want to live it for uh, those people who are going to really be there in the end. And you want to be able to say, hey, listen, I did, I did well by myself. I did well for you. Um, and, you know, I lived a really good life. And, and uh, you know, so that's the philosophy I take. And that's, the, that's behind everything I do with my business, with bigger pockets and, 
you know, with my life in general. That's why, you know, I can't go and, and rip people off. That's why I, I'm not, you know, it's not bigger pockets. Isn't, you know, this upsell uh, destination. It's because I couldn't look at my family while I'm about to kick the bucket and say, Hey, I did good by you. I hoard myself out. But <laughs> I did really good by you. And so, you know, that's, that's the philosophy I have. I'm sure everybody's got their own. Um, anyway, the bottom line is, you know, death is, is one of these things that, you know, it's, it's a topic we don't talk about. It's a topic we're afraid of. Um, but it's a topic that anyone in business has to absolutely has to plan for. Um, and, and that's why this show is, is just so important. You know, one of my biggest fears in life, this is just kind of unrelated maybe, but uh, my biggest fear in life above almost everything is being buried alive. I mean, when I was a kid, that freaked me out more than anything else. Um, you know, they used to put, I, I once heard a story that they once tied a rope to people's legs in their coffins that were buried, you know, six feet down. And they the rope went up to the ground to a bell that was above the, the graveyard. So that way, if a person was accidentally buried alive, they would, uh, you know, the bell would start ringing in the middle of the cemetery. So... That's, that's, that would be nuts. That would be nuts. <laughs> not, not, not just the time, but, you know, imagine one day you're working at the cemetery and all of a sudden one of the bells <laughs> time to run. Yeah, that would, that would freak me out. So, yeah, a huge fear of mine. But, um, you know, as I get older and, and have a little bit more assets and things uh, to my name, you know, my, uh, you know, one of my newer fears is, you know, what happens if I go to my wife? Like, what, how is she going to go on? And not just emotionally, but how is she going to go on? Uh, with the rest of her life, with the business, will everything fall apart? And uh, again, when you when you talked to me about this podcast, about having um, our guest on today, I thought it was a terrific idea just because I'm, you know, I don't know what to do about that. I have never covered that. And, you know, this is going to be an actionable podcast. Um, that's what Bigger Pockets is all about. And so yeah. uh, I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'll make sure next time you and I go to the beach that we won't bury you up to your head. Yes, I, thank I you. you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll start to... I'll start to shake and get scared and yeah, you don't want to see that. You don't want to see me in a bathing suit anyway, so we'll avoid the beach. Yes, yes, the Sasquatch in a bathing suit. Yes, a there you go. Frightening sight. Yeah, there you go. If you're in the landlord game, then you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where RentReady steps in. Now, RentReady's got an important new feature, proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. Say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with RentReady. RentReady is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for $1. You can't beat that. I actually don't even know how they make money doing that, but it's above my pay grade, pal. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, like me, to get six months of rent ready for $1, which is crazy. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through rent to retirement, you can buy a brand new construction turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. I need to double check with Zach, rental retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? <laughs> it's not that complicated, Rob. 
Rent to Retirement has new construction properties up to $20,000 below retail prices. We also have investor loans with rates as low as 3.99% and down payment options as low as 5% or sometimes even zero money down. You get all the cash flow, appreciation, and equity for as little as zero money down. That's an infinite return. Oh, wait, wait. Let me get on this before we tell it to the whole Bigger Pockets audience. Just head to renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. That's REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to renttoretirement.com today. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com slash VP. Connectinvest.com slash VP. All right, man. Well, let's, let's get to this. All right. Well, why don't you uh, introduce us to our guest today, Josh? With us to talk about death. <laughs> is our good friend, Neil Frankel. Neil is a certified financial planner with 25 plus years of experience. And uh, Neil's actually got a, a really, really uh, just amazing story. Um, it's, it's somewhat tragic, but, but he's really overcome that. And, and it's, it's fantastic. He's a great guy. Um, Neil teaches people how to plan for their financial future, and uh, he blogs at wealthpilgrim.com. He's, he's one of the top guys in the, uh, the, the financial blogging space. He's incredible. He's got great advice. He's very responsive. So if you hit him up at Wealth Pilgrim, he'll be, uh, he'll be there to take your answers. But without further suspense or, or anything else, welcome, Neil. Thanks a lot. Great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. We're, we're very happy to have you, man. Very, very happy. So as, as I mentioned in your intro there, you've, you've got somewhat of a, a uh, uh, story here. You, you overcame huge diversity. Maybe you could tell us about your upbringing and how that led you to become uh, who you are today. Okay. Uh, well, unfortunately, uh, by the time I was out of high school, both of my parents had passed away. My mom died when uh, I was seven, 15, and then my dad was in an airplane crash two years later. So they were in their 40s. Uh, we were four children. They didn't do any planning whatsoever, no trusts, no will. My dad, by accident, by accident, in fact, he was doing a real estate deal. So we had to have a little bit of life insurance to make sure that he could perform. And uh, he made one premium payment on life insurance. Uh, the deal didn't go through, but the life insurance did. And because of that, we were able to go to college. But the, the family was basically decimated because neither parent uh, did anything to plan for the unexpected. Yeah. You know? 
Wow. Well, you know, un- unfortunately, that is something that that I probably say, and I'm sure you you probably know some statistics on a, a good number of of people uh, do not plan. Is that, do you have any data on that by chance? Yeah, actually, I do. Uh, something to the tune of um, I have a, a chart here on my site. Something to the tune of about eighty percent of the people don't uh, do any planning. Wow. At least eighty percent. It's just eye boiling. It, it could be higher than that. No, you know, no trusts. They might have, you know, they might have a little life insurance here or there, but a comprehensive plan. Very few people do it. Wow. Well, what, what does that what does that tell us about our education system? Right, financial education is is not a priority, is it? I don't know if it's a function of education. It might be a part of that, but I think more of it is a willingness to just you know, put the big boy pants on, grow up, do what's required. Yeah. People just want to do it. Yeah. They know what they got to do. Absolutely. No, I, I got you. I got you. We'll, we'll, we'll get into some of that state, uh, stuff later on. You know, the, the big thing, the reason I wanted to have Neil on the show, um, Neil and I attended a conference. Uh, it was a bloggers conference of financial bloggers. And we had this incredible, incredible discussion with a, with a bunch of really, really sharp guys about death. And it sounds morbid, but the conversation, you know, just really got me excited um, because I realized that I had not done any planning for my own death. And, you know, sitting and thinking about it, it, it gets me a little freaked out. In fact, it gets me a lot freaked out. I've got, you know, a wife, I've got kids and, and you know, to think, oh, gosh, someday something's going to happen to me. Um, but you know, the, the, the folks listening to this show, uh, they're, they're business people and, you know, whether or not they're business people or, or they just work for somebody else, you know, I thought it'd be really important that we, we get into planning for death. So Neil, let's, let's talk a little bit about that discussion. One of the things that really sparked my interest was planning your business for your death. So right. what happens, you know, are you ready today? Is your business ready today um, in the event that you kick the bucket? That is a phenomenal question. And it's actually, in my view, really powerful, even if you think you're never going to die. Because let's face it, most people really don't get that someday they're going to be gone. They, they, they know it intellectually. They don't really get it in their, in their heart. But the reason that I think that's a great question is, is because um, – if you can make your business run without you, then your business becomes all the more powerful and, and profitable. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, so one of the things that, that we really delved into was having a plan. Um, and, and I know, you know, for me, we had talked because a lot of us run web companies and, you know, we do want this to apply for those folks who've got a real estate business and, and other businesses. But um, what, what I realized was, you know, God forbid, you know, something happened to me, there's, um, you know, does, does my wife know how to, um, how to run my business? You know, does she have the plans? Does she, you know, does she know where the important paperwork is? You know, let's, let's get into that a little bit. You know, may, maybe right. you can, you can talk about, you know, what does somebody need to do? What, what kind of things do they need to have prepared, um, particularly for their business, um, for okay. some kind of transition? Okay. Okay, so 
I think there's two or three parts of it. And it's funny because after we're done, I'm going to be talking to my lawyer specifically about my transition plan. So it's timely. Um, the first thing is to ask yourself, okay, what happens if I can't come in tomorrow if I'm gone? How does the business run? Um, your, your spouse has to have all the documents. So what I've done, Josh, is I've actually recorded myself on video um, showing my wife where on the on the C drive of our computer where all the documents are. So I just got a like a video uh, like a screen recorder. Yeah. And it, and it shows her exactly where the files are. And then I also tell her what these files do and what to do. So it's I've written out a plan, but I've also got an audio plan for her. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. So so you've got this this thing. I mean, I hate to be morbid, but is it literally like, hey, honey, if you're watching this, I'm dead. This is what you need to do. I mean, <laughs> is that kind of how it goes? Well, I don't say that, but it's pretty obvious that that's the you know, I just say, here's what you do. I don't go into that part of it, but yeah, you know, it's been wonderful. Thank you. Dear. <laughs> no, no, none of that. It's very factual stuff. If, if you're listening to this and watching this video, you're probably smiling because you're the reason I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey, so, okay. So you put together these videos, <laughs> you've got right. the, the, um, uh, written documents and, and what's, what's included in those written documents? Um, you know, is, is that, uh, and, and again, I'm talking specifically a, a, about uh, for, for your business. Okay. Well, in my particular business, um, you, you have to have licenses and you, I have arrangements with uh, in my case, a custodian, which is TD Ameritrade. And then I've got the state of California. So there's like three or four different, legal requirements that have to be met to continue the business. And then also to, I've also appointed a broker to sell the business in case. So I've already set that all up, but there's gotta be things that, that she does to actually uh, execute the plan. So I explained to her what should happen and who's going to do what and what she needs to do to make that legally possible. So, it, you know, in every business, it's different. You've got to just, really take and you know maybe interview a lawyer for your own business and say okay what's required to keep this thing going okay okay um the the uh and and we'll bring this thing back to to real estate for everybody in a bit but i, I you know i think a lot of these issues are relevant to anybody who might be listening so um before we do that let's let's kind of keep digging into this thing um you know i look at my business for example and i say okay well you know on the day to day there's certain things that need to be done you know, um, so for me, I know that I would I would need to plot some kind of chart of here's what you do every day. And I guess this, again, would apply for, you know, real estate or non-real estate. You know, here's the day to day stuff. Here's the week to week. Maybe here's the month to month. Here's where the paperwork right. is. Here's how to right. find stuff. Um, and but, but you had talked about um, planning for selling the business. And, and I, I think that's a really, really good point. What? Um, how do you, how do you do that? I mean, you know, how do you prepare? Uh, presumably, a lot of people don't really think what happens if I die. You know, to the business, do I sell the business? Do I do I keep running it? Does, right. You know, well, I can't run. Right. It. I'm dead. <laughs> but you know, does my spouse run it? Um, so you know, finding that next person, get into that a little bit. Okay. Well, first of all, you know, again, specific to your own business, you know, my wife is not a financial planner. 
so my clients are not going to hire her to they're they're, they're going to go so so that's number one um so what i've done is number one contracted with a company that specializes in succession planning for financial advisors and the second thing i do which is more applicable for for your listeners is to network with people local business people and say look you know um if i go you know, I have a dry cleaning business, you're a dry cleaner, you know, let's set up a reciprocal arrangement where if something happens to you, I'll buy your practice or your business and so forth. So you got to look around. No, that's a really good idea. I wonder if you could do that, you know, the same thing with real estate, you know, if I go, you know, I, I've got a good friend who invests, he has about the same amount of properties as I do. Um, and we've, we've kind of talked about that, you know, if one of us dies, uh, you know, we, we hope the other person will come in and at least settle the, the the problems, you know, so our wives who are grieving won't have to because we have that kind of inside information already on how real estate works. And so, uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Well, well, the nice thing about real estate, in my opinion, is that it's not as time sensitive as an ongoing retail business, you know, that, that needs daily attention. Real estate does need, you know, you can get a manager to do it, but you don't need to make buy sell decisions on an hourly basis, so yeah, that's a little true. bit more time. Yeah, that's great. All right, so very cool, Neil. Um, so, what would you say then? You know, what other things should I be doing? You know, as a real estate investor, uh, to plan for my kind of um, you know eventual retirement, followed by death, hopefully much later. <laughs> <laughs> so, what what should I be doing? Right. You know, from your from your opinion, um, you know, besides well, talking to my friend. Well, in my opinion, the first thing you got to do is look at your estate plan because if at the time of your death you have, an, you have a taxable estate, by setting up proper trusts, you could take a huge chunk out of the estate tax and the transition, or you could create a world of, of problems for yourself. So the first step would be setting up the appropriate trusts. And then if you have multi-million dollars worth of, you know, real estate, then you might want to do a family limited partnership and it gets, it gets complicated, but the first step is, is getting your trust and limited partnerships in place. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that, Neil? Um, you know, as somebody who I, admittedly, I know very little and I've been reading this stuff and, and studying a lot of it, um, you know, real estate, I know very little about trusts. I know very little about you know, inheritance and, and heirs and, you know, all yeah. this, uh, all this stuff. I know so, nothing. So, okay. So school us, <laughs> I mean, you know, we're, we're your, we're the listeners and we're, we're here, you know, I want to learn what is a trust? How does it work? Um, how does it protect you? How does it protect your family? The first thing is to name me as your beneficiary. That's the first <laughs> rule in setting up the trust. That, that was a given. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, so there's there's really two elements of a trust. Number one is you need a mechanism by which stuff that you own gets transferred to someone else when you're dead, okay? So if you do nothing, there's a mechanism for that. It's called probate, and it's a very bad concept. We could we could, you know, I I could talk about I could do a lecture on that, but okay. The second way is joint tenants. And joint tenants is good because the stuff automatically, depending on the state you're in, and I, I, also I want to, you know, just disclaimer, I'm not a lawyer and I don't want to give anyone legal advice, but I'm just going to give general concepts. 
joint tenants has has some nice benefits because when you die, all your assets that are in joint tenancy go to your survivor. Um, there's problems because with if you die and then your spouse gets everything, and assuming you're you know so so then what happens when when she dies, so or or gets sick or something. So that's why the trust could be helpful. That so the trust is a mechanism by which assets are transferred. Okay. So are both Again, are, are both you and your your spouse on, in the trust or and your kids or how does that, how does that exactly work? My spouse and I are we're owners of the trust and we're also beneficiaries of the trust and we're also trustees of the trust. Now if something happens to one of us then we could name someone else as a trustee but they're not an owner so they get control or they help control for our benefit but they don't have ownership rights and that's the big difference between a joint tenant and a trust. So the first part of it is it's a mechanism by which assets are transferred. But the second, the second element is that it, depending on the size of your estate and the, the state taxes at the time of your death, the trust could potentially help you save hundreds of thousands of dollars in estate taxes. Do you have a, like a minimum for what you know, if a guy owns one single house, you know, one rental house, you know, should he be looking at getting a trust or is that something for, you know, the millionaires only? Well, um, because I'm a pessimist and a conservative and I and my experience is, you know, all kidding aside, my experience is that you never know when you're going to die. And unfortunately, I was a recipient of that. My parents, had they had a trust, even though they didn't have very much money, would have saved a lot of grief. So the trust also does a lot of things, even if you have no money. It has health powers of attorney. It names if you, for example, Brandon, have children and you want to name a, a, a guardian for your kids, the trust can help you do that. It doesn't hermetically do it, but it does a lot of other things. So I, I wouldn't wait to be a rich guy before I got a trust. Can, can you talk about the, the difference between, for example, you know, guy has one one rental property, and he's got say you know fifty thousand in the bank. Say the property's worth fifty grand, a hundred grand. Say you know it's a hundred thousand dollar property, fifty thousand in the bank. Um, he kicks the bucket versus his friend who has the exact same finances, but puts that money uh, puts that in a trust. How does what, what's the difference? And uh, I right. guess how does that work? Um, okay, on the fir- first of all, on the let's say. You know, the, the guy dies without a trust, <clears throat> assuming that he had the property in joint tenants with his spouse and, and the money in joint tenants, then it goes to his spouse. If he's single and it's just in his name, then the lawyers have got to get involved. It's probated. And then the lawyers are going to eat it all up. Okay. Versus, versus the other guy or woman who, because we all know women are smarter than men. A hundred percent. I agree. So if the woman has the trust set up, she passes away, um, her trustee would basically just divvy it up. It would probably take two or three weeks, maybe a month. It's all done. You know, it's very simple, very easy. Is, is there a tax implication on that? So you've got the property. Um, are, you, are you now paying cap gains on death, death tax or any of that weird stuff? The estate taxes... There are some benefits of having – it's going to get a lot more complicated than you probably want, but let's put it this way. Depending on the size of someone's estate, it could save a lot of money in estate taxes, 
but for most of us, it won't right now because we have uh, an estate tax exclusion of five million dollars. Ah, very nice, very nice. Drops, drops back to a million. Then the see, basically, the trust can allow you to double your estate tax benefit. Okay, so if you have an estate of worth ten million, then the trust would basically help you avoid ten million dollars. You know, shield ten million dollars of assets, but. If the estate tax drops to a million dollars, then the estate, then the trust could help you shield two million dollars of tax-free assets. Complicated. I would definitely recommend at this point that your people not take, you know, not make a decision based on what we're talking about, but make a decision to talk to a lawyer about this if it sounds of interest. I, I was going to say that. I was going to say, you know, I, th- this is a this is a pretty heavy conversation. There's there's a lot of really uh, important and and um, very uh, detailed concepts. So you know, definitely talk to your lawyer. Definitely talk to a, a CFP. Um, don't go out there and try and figure this stuff out on your own. That's that's kind of my disclaimer to your disclaimer. Um, I know Brandon wanted to jump in with some stuff here. Yeah, I'm just curious, Neil. I know this is a really general question, but if I wanted to set up a trust, what am I looking at to have a – I mean, does a lawyer do that or does a a financial planner do it? And then also, what is a general range that it's going to cost? I mean, is this a $5,000 thing or a $100,000 thing or 20 bucks? Oh, (laughs) well, good question, Brandon. Um, I would not recommend that anyone do this with a CFP. Okay, I would recommend one of two things. Uh, A lawyer, if your situation is complicated or you just have more peace of mind that way. And okay, really important. Make sure that the lawyer specializes in estate taxes, estate uh, trusts. Uh, Quick story. I went I, 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 I was friendly with a lawyer who knew nothing about estate taxes and he would take people and charge double. He would take their take money, um, charge them five thousand bucks. He would pay another lawyer twenty five hundred dollars to do the trust, and he would pocket twenty five hundred. So it's a great way to waste a lot of money if you don't go directly to a trust attorney. Now, the other way to do it is you can use a service like LegalZoom.com, and and I've done some reviews on places like that before, and I think that Josh probably has too, or or may in the future. Um. Self-service companies could be good as well, depending on the, you know, how complicated your situation is. But that could, you know, a, a company like LegalZoom, I don't know what they charge, maybe a hundred or two or three hundred dollars. And a lawyer could charge between seven, you know, between five hundred and three thousand or five thousand or ten thousand, depending on if it's very complicated. And if you have a lot of real estate and or lots of beneficiaries and a second marriage and this and that, you really should talk to a lawyer in my view. No, that's, that's good advice. Listeners, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. They've rolled out proof of income verification. Let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. And if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for just $1. How great of a deal is that? That's one eighth of a Chipotle. That's pretty good. Visit rentready.com. 
That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I dot com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor to get six months of rent ready for $1. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Um, so uh, we, we, we covered cost. Uh, we, we covered kind of vaguely what it what it does, and and you know it sounds sounds to me like a, a trust is something that that probably everybody wants to put together. Um, you, you had mentioned earlier probate, and um, you know maybe we could talk a little bit about probate. What it is, how it works, and and um, fr- from from the perspective of protecting yourself from uh, your your estate going into probate, and then and then I I think we should actually tackle it from the other side as as an investor. You know, there are lots of families, and there are lots of people who unfortunately have to deal with probate, and you know how can you come in as an investor and and help those families to dispose of the assets that they probably want to get rid of so they can get some cash um, on hand. Um, so l- let's take it from both sides. Let's start with what is probate? Okay, probate is the mechanism by which the state, uh, the courts decide where your assets are going. If you have a will, you die testate, meaning, the yeah, don't worry about that. It means that <laughs> if, <laughs> it means that the court will take your will and interpret it. And that's going to take time and money and lawyers. If you die without a will, it's called you, you've died intestate, meaning you have no will. So the court will use the state laws and decide, you know, where your assets go. So basically it's a lengthy process. 
The courts are involved. The court makes decisions for you. Lawyers are involved. It takes a lot of time, a lot of money, and it's completely public. And it's open to it, – it allows a lot of people to fight over your money. So, for example, Elvis, when he died, his estate was worth $10 million, and um, his heirs got $3 million. Guess where the other $7 million went? U.S. government? Lawyers? Lawyers and, and courts, right. <clears throat> so, you know, when John Wayne died, no one knew what the size of the estate was. Um because he had a he had a he had a trust so 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 it's it's private it's quick it's cheap probate is ex exactly the opposite of that hey so so trust and wills let's let, you know how do they work hand in hand Be, because i think there might be a little bit of confusion you want to have a will obviously um no you don't you don't oh you don't want well, to have a will You'd you you should here's what you should have it, well, again depending on the state and your situation I'm not a lawyer but <laughs> he's not a lawyer this is you know talk to your lawyer <laughs> good good one again Josh. okay so a trust sort of does the same job as a will so you you're better off to have a trust all things being equal than a will however. What people generally have is a will that in case you forgot to put something into the trust, then you have what's called a pour over will, which is if you forgot, then the, then everything goes in. Everything that's left out of the trust goes into the trust via the will. So would that be the, the ultimate setup that you would think people, our listeners would, would want to have is have have a trust and then have that pour over will? Is that the optimum? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. I've never heard of a pour over will. I, this is, this is fantastic. A lot of great info. All right. So let's get back to probate then. Um, so we know how probate is. It's public. It's open. Um, what does that mean? Uh, you know, what does that mean to somebody who, you know, is an investor? I know a lot of investors market to, to, to the probate market. Um, they send mailers out, you know, it's kind of a, a grim thing, but unfortunately, you know, people who who pass away oftentimes leave leave uh, assets, and and they don't know how to what to do. So, uh, how can somebody who is an investor come in and and you know help out? Well, you know, a I don't know a ton about this, but b this proves the point. There's the reason that investors, some investors, aggressively market to probate attorneys is because they know. That the people who who mistakenly went through probate are screwed, and they're going to take advantage of that. That's where they're going to get a deal. So, let's say an asset gets probated. Well, the family wants the money quick. Uh, they need to pay for legal fees, estate taxes, possibly. They're in a tough situation. Um, how you would how you would pursue that specifically? I don't know exactly, but I can tell you. Again, unfortunately, probates are public record. So you could find out about probate and contact the lawyers and the families and and make yourself available as a you know investor. Yeah, well, and there have been a bunch of articles. If you go to the Bigger Pockets blog at biggerpockets.com slash re news blog, uh, you will uh, you know you, you could look up uh, some articles on it. We'll, we'll actually put probably we'll we'll put some links into the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show five. Um, all right, so so probate is is uh, 
it sounds sounds like we we don't want to end up in probate. That's for sure. Um, Absolutely not. We also don't want to end up passing on without being prepared in other ways. Um, and and I I think one one of the things you you and I have talked about, Neil, um, is is on life insurance. Uh, so maybe we can kind of cover that a little bit now. Um, what is it? How does it work? And and why do we need it? Oh well. <clears throat> Life insurance basically pays off a big lump sum in case you die prematurely. And note to self, everybody dies prematurely. Yeah, what is prematurely? <laughs> yeah. I just say that to make everybody feel good. Uh, but um, you die, you get a lump sum, and then the family should use that lump sum to invest it, to generate the income, to replace the income that you're no longer here to provide. So yeah. if so, you need it, Josh. If people depend on your income, right? Okay. And and there's various kinds of life insurance, correct? There's I know there's term, and then there's whole life. What's the difference? One is good, and one is evil. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the evil? The evil is whole life, in my opinion. For most people, not always, but ninety nine percent of the time. Now, if you're a life insurance agent, whole life is wonderful. Cause you make a ton of commissions on it, <laughs> but so keep but, it real. Neil. So, I, love it. I love it. Okay. Night. No, most people term insurance is far better, far better. It's a whole lot cheaper. Uh, gives you a lot more coverage for the same dollar. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it's amazingly cheap. You know, it's much cheaper than you think. The term insurance is the way to go. Absolutely. I'm a big fan and I'm a big believer in it. All right. So we, we've got term insurance. We're not going to get the whole life because we don't want to make the insurance sales guys rich. We want to take care of our families and, and, and do that. So <laughs> how, much, how much term insurance should somebody get? So say I'm a, you know, I'm a real estate investor. He's got you know, 10, 20 properties bringing in income. I also Maybe I work a nine to five on top of that. Um, you know, I guess we could come up with a, a million scenarios, but you know, ultimately, what are people kind of looking for in terms of how much uh, they should purchase? This is a really good question. So, <clears throat> the the way to do it is to really break it down, Josh. Um, let's say you wanted to die. And, oh, excuse me, you don't want to die, but if it happens, you want to pay off all your real estate. I'm just saying, depends on what you want to do. Let's say you want to pay off or just pay off your house or whatever. So let's say you own, a, you have a mortgage of 300,000. So that's, that's the base amount. Then you want to provide a hundred thousand dollars of income for your family. Let's just say, all right. So the rule of thumb, 5% return on your investment, you would need $2 million invested to generate a hundred thousand dollars in income. And that's pre-tax. So you would need $2 million life insurance. It's really rough. It's really broad, but you just work backwards on your income. Okay. Okay. So working backwards is, is absolutely, you know, it's something that, that you, you do as an investor, regardless when you're, when you're kind of planning, I know Brandon and I, you, we, we've talked about that in, in terms of building up your portfolio and, and plotting. Um, but it, it sounds like that's a great idea for, um, for this as well. Yeah, one thing that I what I did uh, for my life insurance, and Neil, I'd actually like to get your opinion on this. Um, I got a policy a couple of years ago, and uh, 
the the policy it was a it was a term life insurance, but then they gave me the ability to I think every year I can up the amount that I have because as I buy more and more properties, I need more and more money. So kind of my theory was I would always have enough um, life insurance to cover paying off all the mortgages that I have. So if I were to die, uh, at least my wife and she knows that she's to pay off everything that we own and then just hand it all over to property management or over to my, you know, my other investor friends. Is that your. Conceptually it's you're in the right neighborhood, but there's a, so there's a, I want you to think Brandon of your life insurance needs sort of as a bell curve. So on the one hand, you will need more as your family grows and as your exposure grows agreed. Okay. Yep. But as your net worth grows and you pay off properties and you have more equity and you have less, you have more passive income and your family, your kids get older, blah, blah, blah. You actually need less life insurance, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So you have to first plot out what your life insurance needs are over the next 20, 30 years. And of course that's going to change. You have to make assumptions and you have to be able to build to buy more insurance and sometimes and then taper it down. So what I've done rather than do what you did is I bought more policies in the beginning, but I bought them for different periods of time. So when I was 30, I bought a 30 year policy. So it, it, it expires when I'm 60. And then I would buy different policies that would extend for different periods of time to, you know, to tailor my life insurance needs to, you know, or plan to my needs. So you could buy multiple policies is what you're saying, Neil. Not only can you, I recommend it. Okay, so you could have one expire like when your kid is graduating from college, then one of them could expire because you no longer care about that extra, that money. Right. Okay. Right. No, that's great. That's great. Um, So, Neil, let's get into really quickly and then we're we're going to have to get out of here um some overall ideas you're a cfp you're talking to uh, an audience of of you know actual investors and would be investors what give us some big broad kind of sweeping advice that that you can uh provide to us whether you know whether you're somebody just starting or or somebody who's been around for a while you know what are your best tips for you know CYA, covering your backside, making sure your family's ready to go um, financially. What do we need to do? The first thing is to have enough liquidity and to be tracking your, your spending. Very important because people spend about 30% more than they think they spend. And if you just simply track it by virtue of tracking your spending, you'll see where your money's going. You'll be much more conscious of how you spend money and you'll be able to catapult your financial future, you know, your, 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 your success. So that's, so track your spending. Number two, make sure you have a a good um, emergency fund and enough life insurance because you don't know. And guess what? You really don't know. And if people are depending on you, do the responsible thing, get enough life insurance. Then from there on, I actually like uh, Brandon's uh, post. He wrote a post for me, gosh, a month or two ago. Uh, and it was wonderful because it talks about, you know, looking at your life, building a plan, going backwards. What do you want it to look like? When do you want it to look like that? And then, you know, investing accordingly and not getting caught up in the this year or what 
President Obama saying now or what's going on in Congress. You know, have a plan and execute it and understand that it's a 20, 30-year plan and execute it, you know. And, uh, and then the fourth thing, which I'm not sure that Brandon mentions, but I always do, is to always have an accountability partner and a mentor, you know, to run your ideas off somebody else who, who has what you want. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. Well, so, and how often um, should somebody be reviewing the, these plans? Uh, at least once a year. Okay. okay. At least once a year and talking to your accountability partner once a month. Interesting. You um, know, re- really quick, um, the post that, that uh, Neil talked about, we'll have in the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show five. And, you know, one thing you said, Neil, that I just wanted to point out uh, a real life example of is you said track your expenses and uh, what you're spending. And uh, about, I don't know, probably three or four years ago, uh, I sat down with my wife and we decided to kind of take our finances more seriously. And we looked and we figured out we were spending an extra, I think we were over a thousand dollars a month that we had no idea where it was going. And uh, yeah, so we sat down, we plopped, you know, plotted it all out. We created a budget and nothing changed in our life after that. But all of a sudden we had an extra thousand dollars a month. It was exactly right. Yeah, it was like magic. I mean, after that, I told every one of my friends, I mean, you got to do this. Like I was spending a thousand dollars a month more than I thought I was. And uh, yeah, it's so great advice. We got them off the Starbucks. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> not not that. Hey, all right. So we're, we're running out of time here. So let's let's knock out a, a couple really, uh, really quick questions. Neil, what is your favorite personal finance book? <clears throat> my very favorite personal finance book is money academy for couples written by neil frankel <laughs> how about your favorite personal <laughs> finance book not written by neil frankel <laughs> oh <laughs> all right well uh <clears throat> that's a tough one i you know dave ramsey wrote a book of um i forgot the name of it but the total money makeover really total money makeover yeah, that's what the book that did it for me yeah, okay, so that's great also, but the most important business book I ever wrote, read was The E-Myth uh, by Gerber. Uh, I forgot his first name, but Michael Gerber, I think. Phenomenal. That changed my whole business life. I yeah. think that's the fourth time on this podcast that we've had somebody say the same book, and I haven't read that one. So, uh... Well, Brandon, <laughs> what, do you, what do you conclude from that, buddy? Yeah, I, I'll pick that up this week. There you go. Thank you. There you go. <laughs> All right, Neil, let's talk about uh, what, what's your favorite hobby? What do you do for fun besides uh, give, give me grief? <laughs> <laughs> well, believe it or not, I play drums and, um, and I've played in a few bands and I've even uh, toured a little bit all, all over the country uh, once in a while. So I still, even though I'm pre-death, I, I still play <laughs> rock. <drums>. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so, so are the Rolling Bones, man. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. I I play drums too. I'm 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 pretty terrible, but I enjoy it quite a bit. And I'm a former terrible drummer as well. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so we got a lot in common here. Yeah. Shocking. Jam sometime. Jam. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the last question I have, Neil. Uh, this is something I ask everybody, and I'm going to tailor it a little bit uh, specifically for you. But um, the question I have is, you know, in this industry, just financial uh, in general, I guess, you know, a lot of people. Uh, do really, really well. And a lot of people make a lot of money and they end up retiring with a huge you know, portfolio and other people uh, end up with nothing and end up going um, 
just kind of living off family and friends and the government until they die. So what's the one thing or, you know, one or two things, what sets people apart, the top performers from those who are just uh, scraping by? The three things that come to my mind are number one, commitment. Number two, a plan. And number three, execution. There's a, <clears throat> there's a saying in the Israeli army that, say, that goes, there is no such thing as impossible. There's only, I don't want to do it. It sounds better in Hebrew, but <laughs> the, reality, the reality is um, when I talk to people and they're successful, it's because not only did they have a plan and, you know, and they were committed to it, but they actually took action. Other people, they have excuses. Yeah. Look at yourself, Brandon. I mean, you've executed your plan and you're continuing to do so. Same thing with you, Josh. Look at what you've done. You know, bigger pockets didn't didn't fall into your lap. You had to work tirelessly and you continue to do so. It's called commitment and it's execution. So that's what it's about. In America, I honestly believe you can do anything. You just gotta do the work. It ain't gonna fall in your pocket. Yeah. Even if you have bigger pockets. <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's great, Neil. Thank you. It's really my pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show, Josh and Brandon. No problem. No problem. Great having you. And that was our show today, everybody. I hope you enjoyed our discussion on death and near death with certified financial planner, Neil Frankel. If you haven't yet left us a review, please, please do so. Uh, as of now, we're up to 65, 65 five-star reviews on iTunes. These reviews really help us rank better on iTunes, help us get more people to see us. Um, also, subscribing to the show on iTunes is really, really important. Uh, so please uh, jump on iTunes and make sure you click the subscribe button so that you can subscribe to the show. Again, another way that we can help get the word out about what we're doing here. You guys are really, really awesome. We appreciate the support. Um, the, the, the listenership for, for the show is just growing by leaps and bounds. So it's really exciting, and, and we're going to continue to bring you some really great shows ahead. Finally, just remember, all the information talked about on today's podcast can be found in the show notes at www.biggerpockets.com slash show five. This is Joshua Dorkin signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the BiggerPockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leka Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. 
Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.